And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. to a Champions League review edition of the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and what a match day we had. It's ciao Juventus, adios Barcelona and Atleti. And that's just the start of the strangeness of this Champions League group stage. Club Brugge already through, but yesterday's results mean we could get all three Portuguese clubs in the next round. Milan and Salzburg are going to battle it out for the final day for second place. All four clubs are alive in Group E with one match to go. Celtic got a point against Shakhtar. Rangers remain pointless, but that's no surprise. Here with me to talk about all of this week's Champions League action is a man who I am 100% sure uh, cursed in amazement at the end of that Atletico Leverkusen game. It's Graham Ruthven. Hi, Graham. <laughs> Hi, Taylor Rockwell. Yes, indeed I did, along with Diego Simeone. I'm pretty sure there was a lot of cursing. <laughs> on his part as as well very good introduction there but i was i was a bit confused at the start because i was in, i was anticipating a ryan bailey-esque rhyme and for a second i thought you were doing a haiku and then uh, i realized that that was not what was happening and that was just a uh, taylor rockwell introduction and it was. Uh, ryan bailey cannot it was, be imitated it was yeah it was it was more of a a, a rambling one which it which is more my style than the uh the yeah. concise Feels- rhyme of ryan bailey Feels apt for these uh, thumbs up, thumbs down <laughs> episodes that we are doing. I think no I structure. A, well, I'm just very like AABB sort of rhyme scheme. I think I got to learn how to mix it up and try try some different things. So that's what I'm going to work on. I'm going to work on my poetry uh, in the form of podcast introductions. But I will not spend too much time talking about poetry because we've got a lot of Champions League to be discussed. Uh, since it's just the two of us, just the two of us, uh, we're going to do another thumbs up, thumbs down review of these games, which is another way of saying we're going to talk about the things that interested us for as long as we feel like it, hopefully not <laughs> multiple hours. Graham, we've got 12 clubs uh, securing their places in the knockout round. Napoli, Liverpool, Brugge, Porto, Bayern, Inter, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Man City, Dortmund, PSG, and Benfica, multiple teams have qualified, a.k.a. finished third for the Europa League, and many others have been eliminated. Let's start our thumbs up, thumbs down with something safe and familiar to us. Let's praise Napoli, and then you can talk about Rangers being disappointing. Yeah, so another impressive performance by Napoli, as we have become accustomed to this season. They are very good, newsflash, but um, a thumbs up and a thumbs down for the Simeone family. On the same (laughs) night, they had contrasting evenings on Wednesday. So Giovanni, he scored twice in Napoli's 3-0 win over Rangers. So that was Napoli's fifth straight win in the Champions League this season. They've won every match that they have played in the Champions League this season with a goal difference of plus 16. So that's not bad. They've scored 20 goals in five games. And obviously we've spoken a bit about Napoli this season because it's like watching 2016 Leicester City meshed with prime Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp and players like Kvaradona and Victor Osimhen have been exhilarating to watch every week. But 
I'm going to put some respect on Giovanni Simeone's name for, for a moment because he has also been excellent. He's not really been first choice this season. He is a, a player who either starts the rotation games, obviously Osman was, was injured for a while, but he also comes off the bench in games, but he starts this match and he scores twice. And he's got six goals in 10 games for Napoli this season. He's got four goals in his first four Champions League games. And he's the first Argentinian player to have achieved, achieved that since... Have you got any guesses? Who was the last Argentinian player to achieve that? Four goals in his first four Champions League games? I hope it was Maradona, but I doubt it was. Was it Lionel Messi? It was his dad, Diego ah, Simeone. Of course. Wait, what? Now Simeone have... scored that many goals? Yeah, I was surprised at that as well, because obviously he wasn't he wasn't a, wasn't a striker. You know, he was a, a pretty conservative uh, midfield yeah. enforcer, shall we say, to be polite. Shocking. But yeah, apparently he scored in, uh, four goals in his first four Champions League games. Um, so narrative overloads there, Taylor. I it's almost like that the Simeone family are made for the Champions League. You could have given me... 20 guesses, and even knowing that it was Diego Simeone's son, I never would have guessed Diego Simeone. I did not know he was that prolific of a goal scorer for yeah. that period of time, at least. That is that is shocking. I guess less shocking uh, that Rangers lost this one. It has not been a great Champions League uh, group stage for them. Graham, what do, you, what do you think is the kind of feeling towards Rangers at present? Because I, I doubt they were expected to make it out of this group. But yeah. I also assume that there was at least some expectation that they would show a little better than mm-hmm. they have. Yeah, so that is the context is that this group, group A, I, I believe, um, mm-hmm. is a tough one. And as soon as it was drawn out of the hat, I think Rangers tempered their expectations. Even getting into the Europa League finish in that third place place was, was going to be difficult for them. But it's still a thumbs down for their, for their Champions League campaign. Potentially the worst Champions League campaign in history. Um, that's the that, that's the prize for them going into the final game, their sixth game. It's all getting a little bit embarrassing. And I know there must be some people listening, guffawing at, at you know at Scottish football and and the usual kind of accusations of our league being rubbish. But this is a Rangers team Ryan, that Ryan Bailey really isn't here, so he'd be the only one. So <laughs> I'm with scarred. Him, him away, Rockwell, I'm scarred. I've got that baggage <laughs> on every podcast I do. That comes with me. Yeah, uh, so I'm I, just I, here to be sympathetic. I'm just here to lend a sympathetic ear, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. I'm still suspicious of, of everyone, essentially, <laughs> it. when it comes to Scottish football. <laughs> yeah, so there are obviously there are the usual accusations of our league being a bit rubbish. But th- this is a Rangers team that made the Europa League final last season. And this season, it just feels like they've given up. So if Rangers, coming back to that historic thing I was talking about, if Rangers lose their final match at home to Ajax, that is their final match, they'll have equaled the worst ever Champions League group stage campaign. If they lose by more than one in that game, that record will be theirs. Uh, and that, that is just horrendous. I know Rangers maybe are, were expected to finish bottom of that group, but as I say, this is a team coming into this season, people were asking me, so who's going to do better at the two Scottish teams, Celtic or Rangers? And my answer was, you know, Celtic are a better footballing team, but Rangers have that European experience. It wasn't just last season, but the, the two seasons previously, they made the, the last 16 or, or the last 32 of the, the, the Europa League. So coming into the season, you thought, I think I might have actually said this in my, in my uh, I don't know if I, should, if, if I should bring this up because it makes me look bad. But in our preview show, I think I said Rangers aren't going to get blown away in this group. Mm. Despite the fact they'll probably finish bottom of this group, they're not going to get blown away. And that, that's exactly what has happened. It just feels like they've given up at points. Um, I would say there's only one half of, of football they've played where it's felt like they've been competitive. That was the first half, weirdly, against Liverpool at home where they actually took the lead in that game. And it's just been, it's not just the results, it's the performances. And actually, it's got to the point where I'd be surprised if Van Bronckhorst is still the Rangers manager after the World Cup break. It really feels like Rangers fans are, are, are fed up. There's been some bad domestic results as well, which obviously doesn't help when Celtic are so good at the moment. 
but the Champions League campaign has been an absolute disaster. So Rangers came out of this game losing 3-0 away to Napoli and it was almost like that was a success for them given the, the context of their other results in the Champions League this season to go away to potentially the best team in European football right now yeah. and keep the score relatively respectable was a mission accomplished, but that kind of tells you everything about how this season has gone for them. It does. I do still wonder what would have happened if they were in a different group. And I don't think things would have been drastically better. It doesn't sound like Van Bronckhorst is the kind of man to turn this around and figure this team out. But it's a Napoli team that are just incredible and have somehow retooled despite losing key players. And we've talked about them many times uh, so far this season. And I'm guessing we will continue to talk about them many times as we go because they're just so entertain- entertaining, but also so well-balanced that it's really difficult to get any result against them. The same for Liverpool, even with a relatively down season in the Premier League, they're still Liverpool. You know that they're going to be excellent. And especially in the Champions League, you know, they're going to be up for it. And then it's Ajax who themselves rebuilding, but, it's Ajax. They play, they play the way they play. They're always going to be reliably good, even if those results aren't going the way that they've expected. Uh, they only have the one win, though. Uh, I'm guessing that one would be against Rangers. So we'll see yeah. uh, what happens on the final day. Yeah. Maybe Rangers can get uh, a point or ideally three. I do know that Steven Jarrett is available, Graham. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. I mean, he's not, he's, he's not got his uh, mastermind tactical guru assistant anymore. So I don't know whether they want to take Gerard's Minus Beal, but yes, he is looking for a job. I did actually write a piece this week looking at what might be next for Steven Gerrard. A little bit more discussion. I sense you are teasing our big thing episode this week, which we're, we're going to talk about the Aston Villa situation. But I do wonder whether Rangers fans would take him back because they weren't very happy with how he left mid-season last season and just went off to the Premier League. So... I don't know, maybe that door is closed from as well. Yeah, it never feels like the best idea to go back. It, it always seems like you, the magic is broken a little bit. Like the, the fans now know that you will leave yeah. if a bigger offer well, comes in. What's worked for Ronaldo? Well, yeah, so yeah, it's it's gone great. It's wonderful. Uh, yeah, speaking of teams that are no longer in the Champions League and seem unlikely to get there again, uh, let's instead talk about Liverpool Ajax for a moment. Uh, you said Steven Gerrard has lost his mastermind tactical guru. If he needs a mastermind who can come up with innovative ways to defend, should he be looking <laughs> uh, to Ajax? <laughs> yeah, and not for actually any of their defenders. Uh, so thumbs up to David Klassen for his imaginative method of stopping <laughs> Virgil van Dijk at a free kick. I mean, it, it wasn't so effective because Liverpool get a 3-0 win yeah. away from home in this game. But basically, his, his method was to tickle Virgil van Dijk. So this was already a bit of a weird match where Ajax had had loads of, they had loads of chances in the first half. And basically, for, for large periods of that first half, it felt like Liverpool were the second best team. And then they scored three times in 10 minutes, either, either side of half time. So already a strange vibe about this match where it was difficult to work out. But it, it got even weirder when David Klassen, he's, he's marking Virgil van Dijk at a free kick. And van Dijk puts his arms up in the air as, as players do to indicate. Well, actually, I was thinking about this. Why do players do that? I was going to say, so some teammates, I know from a corner kick, players will put up one arm and two arms so that they know whether they're going to the front post or the back post or where. But from a free kick, Virgil van Dijk just putting his arms up kind of, it, it feels like he's just letting uh, letting his team no- teammates know that he's there. But I think- Virgil van Dijk is the size of a house. I'm pretty sure Alexander Arnold or whoever was taking the free kick could actually <laughs> see him. So I'm, I'm 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 wondering why players do that from free yeah. kicks. I, well, first of all, I do like the idea of like it's creating the optical illusion that he's actually nine feet tall and it's that intimidating. My <laughs> guess would be that it's because it's him showing like it's 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 hands up 
you know, like I, I'm not, I'm not uh, participating in the scrap. I'm not grabbing anybody. I'm not pulling jerseys. So if that happens, if I fall over, it's not me who did it. I think it's him showing yeah. I'm not engaging in the physicality right away, but it does then leave you open to some tickles. And I think that's the thing that we now have to consider. <laughs> Yeah, he's putting his arms up in the air, but also booting someone below. You know, it's, a, it's, it's an optical illusion to prevent the referee from spotting that foul. But yeah, basically what happens is David Classen decides to give a wee tickle in the armpits. And, and I'm, all, I'm all for defensive tactics like this. What I want to see is players at corners just going up to their man, lifting up their shirt and blowing a big raspberry on their belly like you, you do with a baby. <laughs> That's, that, that would be... I feel like Klopp would enjoy that. I feel like Jurgen Klopp, you could probably do that to him and he'd be fine with it. Uh, or he would lose his mind and get a red card. Either way, I'm assuming Klassen has some familiarity with Van Dyke from uh, the Dutch national team, where I'm assuming they sure. both play at some point. But What, where they tickle each other? Yeah, that's Dutch training. Did you not know that? It's, it's innovative. It's, it's how they get the team on board. It's, it's unity. Total tickling. Yeah, uh, England has inflatable unicorns in the pool and uh, the Dutch have tickling. And I think, you know, you got to do what you got to do to get those wins, Graham. That's how it works. Do we Maybe. think Louis van Gaal is pro or anti-tickling? Oh, definitely anti. Definitely anti. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's, there, there is nothing, there's nothing playful or lighthearted about Louis van Gaal. There's just intense and then most intense. Those are his two settings, I think. And then resting. Those are his three, I should what, say. What if, he had, what if he had it as a training method where he tickled his players to, to keep their focus, to maintain their focus, and they weren't allowed to break the poker face? That, that, <laughs> that feels like a Louis van Gaal thing to do. I'm so excited for the World Cup. I need more Louis van Gaal in my life, uh, just not managing the club that I support. Uh, but congratulations to Napoli and Liverpool for advancing uh, to the next round. Let's talk Brugge Porto for a moment. Club Brugge already through, Graham. But this was still a pretty one-sided result, 4-0 to Porto. Uh, and let's just spend the next couple of minutes talking about Diogo Costa, the next uh, great goalkeeper. Yeah, so thumbs up for Diego Costa. Um, you mentioned him last week, I think, Taylor, after yep. he, he produced an incredible assist in, in that win over Leverkusen. And this week, for his latest trick, he, uh, he scored not one, but two penalties. So the first one is, is, a, is a decent decent save from uh, Vanekin, the Club Brugge player. But the referee spots encroachment inside the box, and so there's a retake of that penalty. The second save, though, is absolutely ridiculous. So it's Noah Lang who takes the, the, the penalty for Club Brugge. And it's a good penalty. It's in the corner. It's not quite top corner, but it's, you know, it's getting up there. There's some decent power on it, but Costa just pulls off this incredible save. And I think the most impressive thing about it is you get good penalty saves where the, the keeper has basically guessed one way. I'm convinced that Costa reacts to the way that Lang is going. It's kind of like a cat hmm. where like the, the, the reactions were, were, were just, uh, they were just so quick. I thought it was an, an incredible penalty save. Even at that like point. Him, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously there has to be some form of anticipation. It yeah. can't just be pure reflex. He's not. He's you know. He's not an actual cat. Um, that would be quite notable. But yeah, it's like he reads them where he's going, and there there is some reaction in there as well. And and I just thought it was an incredible penalty save. And 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 he, look, I'm not going to pretend he's not a player that was greatly on my radar until mm. a few weeks ago when you see him getting linked with some Premier League teams. And then obviously last week we talked about him. But just the more you read about him, the more that I watch of him. It just kind of feels like it won't be long until he's in the Premier League. And I would say some of the big European clubs would be interested as well, but they all seem pretty set for goalkeepers right now. Maybe Juventus, maybe Costa doesn't want to go to Juventus there right now. Uh, I would suggest that'd be wise. Uh, but uh, it, me, me it, having been very hyped about him last week, there's a club that he was linked with. Uh, I saw today that made me excited. Uh, Liverpool. 
Manchester United, my friend. Uh, that was that was the report I saw. Definitely not Liverpool. They don't need a goalkeeper. They've got Allison. They cannot have any more. Uh, but yeah, I think it was if like they don't end up renewing David De Gea that that is the goalkeeper that Ten Hag has supposedly identified. Maybe that's some gamesmanship for Manchester United because uh, Costa is in such good form. But he does seem to be a capable stop shopper. Stop. Shopper. Nope. Let's try it again. Shop stopper. There it <laughs> stop, is. Got stop it eventually. Shop stopper. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think on top of that, his distribution is excellent. That's what we were focused on last week. And so I think when you combine those two things, he is a goalkeeper who could be destined for a bigger club, but for right now is destined for the knockout round because Porto uh, making it through. Uh, Atletico Madrid will not be there. Uh, anything else to say about Bruga or Porto aside from congratulations to both of them? Just that this was one hell of a blowout from yeah. Brugge having already secured their, their, their passage through to the last 16. I hope we see better of them in the, in the knockout rounds. It does kind of feel yeah. like the, the intensity was gone from their game, as I say, having already secured their, 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 their place in the next round. So I'm not mm. sure this was a, a fair reflection of how well that they have done in, in the Champions League this season. Porto, though, they, are, they look like a decent team. And I think, I think Portuguese football in general at, at the moment Feels like it's in a pretty good place. Obviously, Benfica have been very good in the Champions League mm-hmm. this season. They made the, the knockout rounds or even the quarterfinals last season. Sporting look like uh, they've got they've got it a little bit tougher. They might not make the last sixteen, but they've still got a chance going into that that final round. And then, of course, you've got you've got Porto, who have a, a lot of talented players. So, Portuguese Portuguese football is basically the op, in the opposite place of Scottish football right now, um, and it feels like they are on an upward trajectory while we are. We are on the downturn, I think it's fair to say. Well, at least we still get to talk about Celtic in a little bit. So that's going to be fun. Uh, before we do that, though, let's talk about Atletico Madrid. Uh, one, Bayer Leverkusen won. The game that I mentioned in the introduction might have made Graham curse because this one was wild in a number of different ways. It was way more open than I would have expected, despite only two goals being scored. Uh, if people just like watch the highlights, they'll see it's, it's like shot for Leverkusen, shot for Atleti, chance for Leverkusen, chance for Atleti. It's mm. really back and forth, uh, both teams, uh, but especially Atleti as the game went on, pushing for it, which left them open to counters. And so I, I found this one really engaging. And then maybe the most dramatic finish to a game that I can remember, for people who didn't see it, it's basically... Uh, corner is taken, nothing comes of it, full-time whistle goes, it's one-to-one, Atleti are out of the Champions League or uh, won't advance to the next round, that is. And then we get word, there's a VAR review. Is there a handball? Yes, there was. Uh, it's a deflection, and then it hits, I believe, Kosonu. so we get a, a penalty there. So it, it's, it's all there for Atleti to maybe get this win. The penalty is saved, the rebound is headed onto the bar, and then the final chance is put <laughs> over the bar, Three chances for Atleti to score in those final couple of seconds. None of them go in. One of the more ridiculous finishes I've seen, Graham. Yeah, and it feels like every home match Atletico Madrid have played in the Champions League this season has kind of been a little bit like this, where there's just been... I know Atleti under Simeone are chaos merchants, but they tend to control their own chaos. And it feels like at the moment they are, they are controlling nothing, including... Uh, yeah. Including including VAR and and their penalty takers. You you mentioned that third chance. I thought it was actually Carrasco that blocked that shot on the line that then that then puts it uh, over the bar. So Ooh. I think they have a pe- a penalty save. Then it hits the bar, and then I think Carrasco, one of their own players, stops the, the ball from ending up in in the back of the net. So yes, complete chaos. Um, and things aren't going so well for Diego Simeone. He was the 
the thumbs down side of the bargain on the Simeone thumbs up, thumbs down situation and thumbs down for for his Atletico Madrid team because they are now out of the Champions League this season. And this will actually be the first time since the, the Champions League was expanded in 1999 that there will be just one Spanish team in the last mm. 16, that one team obviously being Real Madrid. And, and, and Spanish teams have had a bit of a stranglehold on the Champions League over the last you know, 10, 15 years. So to just have one team, I mean, Real Madrid will probably win the whole thing again because that's, you know, that's what they do. That's their MO. But nonetheless, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, spoiler alert, they are no longer in the Champions League either. Feels a little bit weird for both those teams. They certainly have the quality to make the, the last 16, but Atleti, they, they didn't deserve to go through. They, they have been poor this season. I thought Leverkusen, they looked dangerous every time they attacked. As you, as you referenced there, it was a very open game. Leverkusen, who have had mixed fortunes since Abby Alonso has come in, so I wouldn't say that they are particularly strong at the moment, so it certainly feels like Atleti had the talent to beat them, but Leverkusen just caused so much trouble in quick transition. Moussa Moussa Dembele, sorry, Moussa Diaby, he was electric. Xavi Alonso looked handsome. It it was just, it just wasn't (laughs) Atleti's night at all. Uh, Xavi Alonso also gets the yellow card for delaying a restart and then sort of gives the ref a pat on the back. Like, yeah, I know, but I had to do it. Uh, I should note, uh, if people haven't already tweeted at us to tell me I made a mistake, uh, I said this was one-to-one. That's my bad. It's two-to-two. I was looking at the wrong thing where Yannick Carrasco equalized. Uh, And, and for a moment, uh, that should have stood out to me because it felt like this could be another uh, story of Diego Simeone being a genius because halftime, uh, they're trailing. It's two to one, courtesy of Callum Hudson-Odoi, as you said. And you see him go sprinting off uh, the sideline. It's like he's going right in the locker room. He's going to figure this out. He makes two changes at halftime. Within five minutes, they've equalized from Rodrigo De Paul, who comes on as one of those changes. So it seemed like the stage was set for... Here we go. You can never count Atleti out. They will always find a way through. And then for this to go the way it does, it does feel representative of where they are this season. Simeone has said he doesn't plan on leaving, even if this is the I believe, hardest moment of his managerial tenure at Atleti. And I hope he doesn't, because it's nice to have that, that consistency there. Though I do wonder... Uh, if a new manager coming in would maybe breathe that like fresh breath of air, maybe he gets more from this squad, but sign his I, son, sign your son. Yeah, Joel. exactly. That'll fix everything. Cause I, you can hear even in the way I'm explaining it, that like, though I, I, I do sort of believe sometimes you've just got to change it up. Like a manager might have just sort of just struck the team wrong or it's not clicking. Thomas Tuchel is a good example of that in my mind. I cannot imagine anyone else at Atleti. So I don't want Simeone to go anywhere. Maybe there's somebody who could do a better job, but I just have a hard time. He seems so ingrained in that club. His identity is so like very much part of them, that kind of hard fighting uh, defensive mindset where they can also apparently score goals at will. I've learned today. So I hope he stays there, uh, but we'll see what happens with their remaining games and uh, what they do from here. But still a really, really captivating game this one a good champions league match week as i said let's take a break graham then let's come back and keep up with the thumbs up thumbs down this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive nba prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an nba game and more head over to michelobultra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back. Graham, let's go to Group C. Uh, This one is surprising and not surprising all at once. We've got Bayern Munich <laughs> on top that that is secured. They have once again not lost or drawn in the group stage. Five wins from five games, plus 14 goal difference. Turns out Bayern Munich quite good. Turns out Inter Milan quite good. They are now uh, second place that is secure with their win over Victoria Pilsen. Uh, a pretty comfortable win for them. Then we've yeah. got Barcelona in third with four points. Pilsen in last with zero. Uh, Graham, let's start with that win for, uh, by Inter over Pilsen, which basically mm-hmm. made the Barcelona-Bayern game meaningless, yeah. but credit to Inter for the result. Yeah, so first of all, thumbs down for grandstand finishes because right. this match was essentially done in the first half, so it wasn't even like we had to wait until full time of the the early kickoff to to work out what that meant for the, the Barcelona-Bayern Munich game. This this match was done at halftime. It was certainly done at full-time where Inter win 4-0. And that means that by the time Barcelona kick off against Bayern Munich, they're already out. So that match as well felt a little bit flat. But it was a very impressive performance by Inter Milan. I follow a few Inter uh, fans on, on, on Twitter. I think by now, particularly this season, they have got used to uh, drama from their team, sometimes unnecessary drama from Inter, who sometimes don't make things uh, yeah. easy for themselves, particularly the weekend. Who were they playing at the weekend? Was it Fiorentina, a game that they won 4-3? Um, there was a, a late winner in that game. But nonetheless, I think Inter fans at halftime, even when they're cruising 2-0 up against Victoria Pilsen, mm-hmm. who, let's face it, talent-wise are an inferior team, they were expecting some fireworks in the second half. That that just didn't happen. And, and one of the headlines from this game or one of the bright points for Inter, not just the fact that they're through to the last 16 of the Champions League ahead of Barcelona, but thumbs up for Romel Lukaku being back yep. in his happy place. So he, he made his return from injury uh, after two months out. He comes off the bench uh, and after four minutes, he scores with a, a pretty classic Lukaku finish where he guides that kind of side-footed finish into the back of the net. It's a finish that he's made a bit of his, uh, his, his trademark. And I would like to see Lukaku back to his, his, his best again because I still don't fully understand why it didn't work for him at Chelsea. And I remember just how exhilarating to watch he was when he, when he was at Inter in his first spell. So I would very much like mm-hmm. to see that player again. And I'm sure Inter and Simone Inzaghi would as well. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, wild to see Inter where they are because if this... Uh, group doesn't go the way it has gone. And if Inter had found a way to finish third, suddenly we're talking about an Inter team who are like once again knocked out. Now they're in the Europa League. They're seventh in the table in Serie A. There's like, is Inzaghi the right guy? Have they made the right acquisitions? They don't have a ton of money as they've talked about. They, they did not budget or their budget did not include them making the knockout round. That wasn't an expectation. They assumed they would finish third. So for them to have finished second, even with where they are in the table in Italy, it still means that they've made it to that next round. It still means that they're going to be able to maybe uh, loosen up the purse just a little bit in January if they Mm -hmm. need to. And so I think for Inter, it is a huge moment for their season that they're able yeah. uh, to get out. And it shows that this team can compete against some pretty big clubs. So I would say, yeah, definitely thumbs up yep. to Inter. A fewer thumbs uh, in the positive direction <laughs> for Barcelona, who knew that uh, it was basically all done for them, but they still went out uh, with a, I guess, point to prove. Um, Xavi talked about how they wanted to have the intensity and how they wanted to fight for the supporters who did to their credit, 
uh, bring the team back onto the pitch to, to uh, applaud them and, and kind of sing for them and show that they still were behind the team after their 3-0 loss to Bayern Munich. Graham, where are your thumbs in this one? So first of all, thumbs down for Barcelona's high line and doing the same thing over and over again in this yeah. season's Champions League and expecting a different result because it's been a similar story for them in pretty much every game that they have played. It became clear very early on what was going to happen in this match when you read that uh, Marcus Alonso, yes, I'm going back to that well, I have an agenda at this point. You read that Marcus Alonso not only is going to be playing in that back four yeah. for Barcelona, but he's going to be playing as a centre-back in a back four, which you could I think that was going to telegraph what was going to happen there. Yeah, when he keeps getting played in random positions that don't work, it's not an agenda. It's just you commenting on a factual thing, which is that this isn't working. Play him where he needs to be, and then it will be better. But for now, Marcus Alonso, I think we can comfortably say, not a centre-back. Yeah, I can just imagine, though, Marcus Alonso sitting at home listening to, to me, a schmuck, kind of criticising him week <laughs> after week. Him, a former... A former Premier League champion, you yep. know, who has the the looks of a I don't know a Roman bust or something. He he uh, he he's thinking, who's this guy criticizing yeah. me? I'm playing for Barcelona. I play for Chelsea. I play for Spain. But nonetheless, I don't really get it with Marcus Alonso yep. unless he's playing left side on a, in a in a back three or a back five as, as as a wing back. Xavi Alonso doesn't seem to understand that you can't play Marcus Alonso as a centre back in a back four or in a back four at all. And so you knew what was going to happen in this game. Bayern has just kept playing balls in behind this ridiculous Barcelona. High line and surprise, surprise, that's yeah. how they score the first two goals in this in this game. And even the players you thought might bring pace to the Barcelona defense, they 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 didn't. I, I swear that Hector Bellerin used to be faster than he is now. Uh, I swear he used to have some pace, but apparently yeah. apparently he doesn't now. I mean, I, I think he still has a decent amount of speed. I mean, certainly compared to you and me. But I think it was also that he was trying to, I think, it, so uh, the the moment for me is that first goal, the Sajo Mane opener, where I think uh, Bayron realizes he is keeping Mane on. He tries to step and then it becomes that thing of trying to like play the offside trap at the exact wrong moment. So then he has to turn and try to make up that that ground. It's not as dramatic as I'm making it because it's a very tight window there. Mane ends up being on side, but it's very close. But then uh, the thing for me in this one, thumbs up to Sajo Mane for putting on a clinic of how to score a breakaway. If you are uh, the parent of a youngster who's, who's playing as a forward, if you yourself are an attacker or just want to learn how to play as a striker or just want an example of how to score a breakaway goal, this is it. Because Sajo Mane puts himself in a position in terms of where his actual body is positioned and where he's facing, that he is perfectly onside, but he can see where the pass is being hit when it's being struck, and he can see where the defensive line is, so he knows he's onside, times it perfectly, but then the ability to control and dribble at speed as he does, excellent, and then the awareness in the exact right moment I am ahead of uh, Bayer in such that I can cut across him. And if he takes me out, it's going to be a red card. Uh, so he is very likely going to slow up. And then I've completely cut him out of the equation. And that's exactly what happens. Mane creates that little bit of separation and then cuts across. And now he's 1v1 with Ter Stegen, who I watched this replay so many times to see how he does this. And it really is. I think it's just his peripheral vision. He sees the way Ter Stegen is coming out, how aggressively he's coming, the angle and the speed, and that he's already starting to go down. And I think there's an immediate processing of that means the back post, the far post is going to be open if I can get a little bit of a lift on it. And that's exactly what he does. He just gives that little chip and it bounces insultingly into the goal over Ter Stegen's sort of outstretched arm. It's an amazing goal from Sadio Mane, but certainly uh, Barcelona did not help themselves with that high line and no. that lack of pace. 
No, absolutely. And it just feels at the moment, it's not so much, Joe pointed this out well the last time we, we spoke about Barcelona, it's not so much that their system is a bad system. Obviously, we've seen this system work with teams at Liverpool play a, a high defensive line. It just feels like they they don't have the players to play this system at the moment. I don't know how you fix that without getting to a, a, another transfer window. I mean, you can coach some players in, in certain regards. You might even be able to instill some positional intelligence into them, but you, you can't really make a player faster and it kind of feels like Barcelona just are lacking in recovery pace at the moment and obviously Sadio Mane is, is, is an, a world-class player so you can maybe excuse him getting in behind but when Eric Choupo-Moting is, is also getting in behind and look thumbs up for the unlikely narrative mm-hmm. around uh, Choupo-Moting at the moment I, I did not expect him to be the, the Robert Lewandowski replacement that Bayern Munich needed all along but he's not the sort of player who gets in behind all that often. So when he gets in behind and, and scores with relative ease, maybe your defense needs a little bit of a, a rethink. Yeah, I, I I know this won't make a ton of like mathematic sense. I know if Joe were here, he would not agree. I am convinced that that's the goal that Chupa Moteng does not score last season. Because I, I think when you're sort of uh, deputizing for Lewandowski, maybe he's hurt, maybe he needs a rest, maybe you're coming in late to spell him. I just don't think you have the sort of the chemistry or the energy or, or just the sort of uh, sharpness that's required. And that finish, it's just, it's such a Lewandowski finish. It's a, I know my <laughs> angle, I know where the goalkeeper's coming. It's similar to Mane. It's just reading it, reacting perfectly, finishing excellently. And, and it's such a, a sign of confidence to me. It makes me really excited for to have Cameroon at the World Cup where he will be there. And to have Cameroon with an inform, confident striker up top isn't a thing that we've seen in, a, in quite some time in my mind. It probably goes back to Eto. So I think to, to have that makes me even more excited for the World Cup, but it also makes me more excited to watch Bayern Munich in the knockout round. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it says for Julian Nagelsmann's tactical plans for this season that he's that he's now... Using Chupamoteng, so I mm-hmm. guess thumbs down for forward planning from from his uh, <laughs> from his point of view. But Bayern Munich definitely look more settled when that when they're playing Chupamoteng as as a number nine in a four two three one, and maybe that isn't so surprising given that Bayern Munich have played this forma- formation for you know time immemorial. Mm-hmm. But it's still somewhat jarring that a former Stoke City striker, thirty three year old former Stoke City striker, is now leading the line for one of the favourites to to win the the Champions League. And I do wonder whether it's a little bit like uh, Pep playing Haaland as his number number nine, like he's he's thinking to himself, I've won, but at what cost? As, you know, <laughs> Chupamoting bangs in the goals on a 4-2-3-1. I love that you think that Pep cares when Pep is just like rubbing his hands together when Haaland scores nine and no one can can defend him. Uh, but maybe he does. Maybe Pep is that, that much of a purist as Nogglesman is. I enjoyed Nogglesman, like... The way he celebrates goals, it is so arrogant in a way that I don't mind, but it's such a like, yes, that is what I drew up. That is what I expected to happen. <laughs> and then at the end, when it's 3-0, he, he celebrates that one very happily. Like, I, I'm kind of twisting the knife just a little bit because you have to imagine uh, the Camp Nou crowd not so thrilled with that one. Though, again, as I said, they are uh, pretty positive when it comes to Xavi and the current team trying to pick them up after this one. I think a way that Barcelona could maybe help pick themselves up uh, is a man named Ansu Fati. And that's where I have a thumbs down, one more thumbs down for Barcelona for me, uh, thumbs down to Ansu Fati's playing time. Because every time I seem to see him this season, he is subbing on, so he's a substitute, and then he does something 
excellent that other players uh, for Barcelona have not done in that game. And in this one, he's just immediately taking the ball at Bayern Munich and he's making defenders drop off and give him that cushion to either make a move, make a decision to try to get by them or to pick out a pass, to pick out a cross. And when you sort of force the defense back that quickly with your opening touches, it just it it sets a precedent of now you can control things a little bit more and and he's just a player that I think could have been such a huge difference for them this season and then they go out and and sign players they do and Usman Dembele seems to be an important part of this team even if the end of the first half is him completely mishitting a crossfield pass uh, the crowd booing and him just sort of shrugging his shoulders and walking off. That's not really the attitude I think they're going for. Uh, I saw today on Fati's agent has said that they will look for other options. If he doesn't get more playing time, Barcelona in response pointed out that he has a 1 billion euro release tag uh, release clause. So it seems unlikely that anyone's going to be able to buy him out, but I think Barca would be uh, mm. smart to give him some more time. Yeah. Barca will buy that out. I know he's already yes. their player, but yes. that kind of feels like a decision they would make. <laughs> I, I, I hate how accurate that is. Uh, anything else from this group, Graham? No, I agree with the Ansu Fati assessment. He, when he burst through a couple of years ago, it very much felt like he was the, the Messi successor, which is obviously you're going to have so many yeah. players nicknamed the new Messi um, other players uh, besides Ryan Gold, who had that nickname a few years ago in Scotland. Mm. But it, it really did feel quite fitting for Ansu Fati. It felt like he, what, he was the next in line for Barcelona. And you're right, every time he comes off the bench, he does tend to produce something. So it's a little bit strange. I know at the start of the season, Xavi was talking about how they didn't want to rush him back from injury. He's still, was he 18, 19 years old or something yeah. like that? So they don't want to put too much physical strain on him. But we're now in October. We're you know two, three months into the season and it does feel like maybe he should be more of a, uh, a key part of that yeah. team because he's certainly, he's certainly good enough. It's a really good point about the injury, Graham. And that's where I wonder, I think it was George Mendez, uh, his agent, who was uh, saying that he needs more playing time. And I wonder if maybe that was a calculated Wilt. decision of we are like, they, they're not going to make it out of the Champions League group. They're going to be in the Europa League. So this is a point of their season when they can sort of reevaluate things. And maybe part of that reevaluation should be on Sufati getting more time. So we're going to talk about that publicly. And that's exactly what they did. I hope he does because I enjoy Ansufati a lot. He's one of those players that I will forever sign on FIFA if I can. Uh, but he costs some money, shockingly, as we've already discussed. One billion. Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that that's one. I know we say like, oh, no one's ever going to pay $100 million for a player. And then they did. A billion Seems a bit much, but who knows? In a couple of years, maybe that's what Neymar will go for when he goes to Stoke or something. Uh, in the meantime, let's talk Group D, the most fascinating group of the Champions League at this point. Uh, every single team in the group can still top the table or top the group. I believe every team, except maybe Tottenham, uh, can, can also be eliminated at the same time time we've got Tottenham on eight points sporting in second on seven Eintracht Frankfurt uh in third with seven and then Marseille with six also some drama in this game uh or in this group Graham which game do you want to talk about first so let's talk about uh Spurs sporting that very much feels like the headliner here I think okay uh which thing Antonio Conte being furious Harry Kane's goal dis- being disallowed or just the result as a whole just just the chaos, all the <laughs> chaos at the end. The, this match was happening at the same time as the the Atletico Madrid-Bayer uh, Leverkusen Oof. game. And I did have the split screen on at, at, for both of those games. And honestly, it was like a sensory overload having those two games on at, at, at the same time because the VR decision, the, the referee pointing to the 
to, to the, or rather the, the, the referee going to the VR screen was happening at both the same times. So I was on, I was watching my TV, two different games of two different referees also watching screens. It was a little bit, it was a little bit inception for a, for a minute there, but yes, drama in the Tottenham sporting game. So Harry Kane, so first of all, Sporting take the lead, they're 1-0 up. Yep. Then 10 minutes from the end, Tottenham score an equaliser through Rodrigo Bentancur. And then right in the, in, with, with the, in the last minute of the game, the 94th minute, Harry Kane scores what looks to be the winner. And then the referee goes to VAR to make the most marginal of marginal VAR decisions to disallow the goal. And it's one of those, those decisions from a referee where... Eric Dyer is on the pitch and you can actually hear him talking to the referee. And he's saying the ball has been headed back by, by mm-hmm. uh, Emerson Royale. And it's one of those ones where the rules, maybe people don't, myself included, maybe don't know the intricacies of the offside rule itself. But because Harry Kane is ahead of the ball, it doesn't actually matter that he is, uh, that the ball is headed backwards. Because he's ahead of the ball, then it's, a, it's an offside decision. Even then, it's a, marginal, it's a marginal offside decision. But basically, the goal is disallowed. Tottenham draw yep. one all, and they have they need a result from the the, the final match day, the, the the final round of fixtures and 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 the group stage to make the last sixteen. And for people who haven't seen it, because e- even there it's still a little bit confusing. It's basically yeah. a header back across from Emerson, and that's the thing we see. It's like the the cross in the header back across, and then you create some chaos there. But it goes off of a sporting defender and it then like deflects redirects to Harry Kane who finishes it. And that's the goal. Uh, and so there was confusion as to why a header backwards could then be offside. Cause it's a backwards pass, but it wasn't because at the time the header is, 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 is hit at the time the pass technically uh, is struck. Uh, Harry Kane is standing in an offside position. So that deflection, even if it's off a defender, puts him offside. The other thing that I think people were confused by is why this wasn't automatic because we have, uh, I guess it's supposed to be automatic VAR uh, in the champions league robots. Exactly. I think I've referred to this as, uh, or seen this referred to as semi-automatic because in this case that is for determining just a straight offside. If it's, you draw the lines, it's going to tell you if he's offside, but because it's this strange deflection and then he's offside that's where i think you have to have a look to make sure that that's what happens so that's also part of the reason why it goes to var and then it's reviewed by the center official but i think i mentioned all that to just say that it elongates the process and adds multiple wrinkles to things yeah. that then if you have a team in sporting desperately trying to say yeah that's offside if you have tottenham saying no it definitely wasn't and you've got a very animated touchline that you have to wade through to look at that screen i think Tensions are going to be high. Tempers are going to be flaring. And in the end, Antonio Conte is going to get a red card. And you could see for a moment, just for a half second when he gets it, um, because the referee gives it to him, turns and walks away. And then he's followed by a bunch of players who are all protesting and arguing still for some reason. There was a moment when I saw Antonio Conte just take a little step forward. Like, oh, this is not done. He's going to pursue the ref (laughs) onto the pitch to have a word. And to his credit, I think he starts to turn and then is sort of pulled away by his assistants. But he gets that red card and therefore won't be involved in that final game, which I think could end up being a problem for Tottenham. What he actually says to the referee before he turns back is, meet me in the car park. I think I heard that, actually. (laughs) I mean, would you be surprised if he actually did? No, I'd be surprised if he didn't, frankly. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just it's it's it is wild. And now we get uh Tottenham have Bournemouth away this weekend and then they are away to Marseille. So they will need that win did, on the road uh to make it out. Did you catch Ruben Amarin's conduct and that's our behavior on the on the touchline in the last ten minutes of this of this match, Taylor? Did you did you see that? I did not. 
So thumbs down for his nerves uh, in the final 10 minutes of this match. Obviously, the, the, as we've discussed, the end of this match was nuts. And even before the Tottenham equalizer, even before things really cranked up, Amaran knew what was coming. He knew. I don't think I've ever seen a manager who seemed to have a premonition on the touchline before. He was he was crouched down, not even watching the game for the last 10, 15 minutes before Spurs got that equaliser. And he's rubbing his temple like, I don't know, like he's a member of the X-Men or something. And, and, and I just can't imagine that if you were a, a sporting player looking over at your manager who is crouched down, not even looking at the game, he's, he's looking at his feet or he's turned away from the game almost like he, you know, he can't watch. We've all yeah, been there with a sporting event where the tension is just so great that you actually can't watch the, the, the game. I can't imagine that that would inspire much confidence in, in you if you were a, a, a sporting player. So, yeah, I don't know whether Amarin had a premonition or whether he manifested the, the, the Spurs comeback, but sporting very, very nearly threw this match away and, and Amarin could see it all coming 10 minutes away. Uh, he could. I, I think so. We would trust him with maybe uh, obviously the, the job at sporting. Maybe he'll be uh, getting a Premier League job sometime, but we would not trust him maybe on the poker table. We don't trust his poker face yeah, there. Maybe- Maybe he had a premonition of if Sporting go out the Champions League here, I'm going to be at Wolves by the end of the week. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know if Wolves are ever actually going to appoint a manager if they're just going to exist in limbo for forever. They don't need one. They're an abstract concept at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ponder them as an abstract concept as we take one more break, and then we will be back to, I'm going to say more quickly, run through our four remaining groups. Back soon. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome back. I said we're going to get through these a little bit faster. I think that will very much be the case for Group E because I don't think we have much to say about this one. Chelsea, uh, on top of this one, they have booked passage to the next round. Milan get a 4-0 win over Dinamo Zagreb. That moves them into second. Salzburg, having lost to Chelsea, now in third with six points. So it will be Milan and Salzburg on the final day. Uh, Milan okay with a draw. Salzburg needing a win. So that will be a pretty captivating game in that one over in Group F. We've got Real Madrid still top of the table, uh, despite a setback in this uh, in this group. They had they started out with with the three wins from three, and it felt like oh they're they're going to just breeze through this one. They're going to get maybe all of the points, and instead only ten. Leipzig behind them with nine. Then it's Shakhtar with six, and then Celtic Graham in, in, in at the bottom, but with two points, two points better than Rangers. You feeling better yeah. about Celtic? <laughs> Uh, yes, actually. All I was right. going to try and be sarky there and, 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 and snide. But actually, yes, Celtic have been a lot better than Rangers in, in the Champions League this season. Obviously, a very low bar that Rangers are setting there. But I feel like I've watched the, the same match over and over again by Celtic in the Champions League this season, where they have had possession, they've had good, good use of the ball, they've created chances, they've started well, and then they kind of drop off after 60 minutes. And that has actually been a bit of a problem for Celtic under Postcoglu in, in general as they expend so much energy in the first hour of the game that the, the final half hour tends to be a little bit flatter. And I think at Champions League level, that has been a problem. Obviously disappointing. They got a draw away to Shakhtar Donetsk in a game that they probably should have won away from home. This felt a lot more even, this game. Shakhtar created chances. One very good chance oh, that I think boy. we will talk about. But yeah, Celtic, <laughs> um, I think they have to treat this as a learning experience. They'll be back in the Champions League next season if they retain their, their Scottish Premiership title. And I think they will be better for that experience because watching them this season, it has very much looked like watching a team that is lacking that Champions League experience and, and streetwise now. Uh, let's talk about that miss for a moment for Shakhtar uh, because it ends up being a point for Celtic, which is good. It should not have been. It should have been 2-1 at least to Shakhtar. Yeah. Uh, I, I said the Atleti finish is the most dramatic one I can think of. This might be the worst open goal miss I, I've ever seen. Uh, at least in per, or like at least in the moment watching it, I was shocked. It's uh, like it's Mudrik for uh, Shakhtar coming down the left hand side, and it's it's sort of he's in space. There's a defender between uh, him and is it Sikan? I think it is, um, and. It's a square ball across. Sikan is there and has the whole goal. And it really just feels like one of those moments where he has maybe one second too long to realize, oh, I better not miss this. And anytime you have that little moment of time to realize that if I miss this, it's going to be bad, I think it's going to hurt you. And in this case, I feel like because he's worrying about that already, uh, he miscontrols with his first touch and it slowly rolls just out of bounds. (laughs) It was horrific (laughs) it's the role that makes it so excruciating so for anyone who hasn't seen this there are actually worse misses in terms of proximity to the goal line he's obviously quite close in but what would you say it's like eight yards outside the goal so that's actually not what that's actually not what makes it so bad 
the Fraser uh, Fraser Forster going back a few years there. Sorry, Joe Hart, yeah. another English Celtic goalkeeper. He is he's out of his goal. Mudrick is, is kind of taking him out of the equation. He's drawn to the pass. Mudrick squares it, and so it's an open goal. But it's the what do you think happens with the finish from from the Shakhtar player? Because is that a touch or is it a shot or is it oh, a combination a of the two? And he, do, and he doesn't really know what to do. And it's just the the ball just slowly rolls past yeah. the the post, and he he kind of decides uh, to chase after it, kind of as he realizes that it's not going to go in the goal, but he's never going to reach it. And it just, it's an excruciating moment. Always with the caveat that I am not talking about this from a, like, I've done this, I've been at this level, but I can say that like the best way to score a goal that I know of is to just sort of like play on instinct. I I think I've talked about this previously and it's just, you sort of can read things if you're, if you're trying to take in a bunch of information at once, as I talked about with Mane, you can kind of gauge where the defender is, where the goalkeeper is, what that means in terms of where the open spot in the goal is going to be. And you can finish, but to some extent, that's all sort of you're processing a ton of information at once. So you're not overly focused on any one detail. Cause I think focusing on that detail becomes the thing that you then draw your attention to. And if you're thinking about, Oh, I'm not sure where the keeper, where's the keeper, where's the key. You're just going to hit it right at the keeper. And in this case, I really do think Sikan has the time to think this goal is wide open. I better not miss, not miss with that first touch. Cause if I one touch this wide, I'm going to get screamed at. I should take a touch, but if I take a touch, am I going to kill the angle? Am I going to give them too much time to get back? Should I take And all while that's happening, the ball is moving to him. And I think he is caught in those two minds as he receives. And so it's, a horrible heavy touch. It's not quite a pass or a shot on frame. And it ends up being him just hanging off of the post, trying to chase that ball down and then looking around like everybody saw that, right? Nobody missed that. Like, it's just such an embarrassing moment. Right. Yeah, yeah, so please, something horrible has to happen that will let me off the hook and nothing. Have you ever seen a player call for a VAR check on their (laughs) their own move, their own shot? Oh my goodness, that was so ridiculous. Uh, also as ridiculous to me is Real Madrid uh, losing to RB Leipzig. That isn't a result I saw coming. Though I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Leipzig, plenty good. It just seemed like Madrid were, were cruising through this one. But it's two goals inside the first 18 minutes for Leipzig. Uh, and Kunku especially, I loved, I loved his goal. And then Timo Werner adds a third late on, which turns out to be critical because Rodrigo gets a penalty in the 90th minute to make it three to two, but it's a win for Leipzig, which keeps them uh, alive. They are now second. So I think feeling pretty comfortably that they will be uh, advancing to the next round. Let's go to group G Graham. We got man city on top Dortmund in second Sevilla and Copenhagen rounding things out. I was super excited or as excited as I can be to watch Manchester City play. And I regretted it pretty quickly because this game did not live up to the billing. Yeah. So first of all, thumbs down to you, Taylor Rotwell, for fair. that decision to, to watch that game. I too, to be fair, was, was watch, uh, looking forward to this game. Obviously, Borussia Dortmund and Manchester City, two high quality teams. I know Borussia Dortmund have been inconsistent this season or for the last five years, but nonetheless, they have good players. But after a while, I kind of forgot that this game was happening just because of the nature of the Champions League and there's other things happening and other headlines, particularly after Erling Haaland comes off at half time. So obviously um, you're not really keeping paying attention of whether the goal bot is going to score another goal. Manchester City, they do miss a, a penalty kick in this game. And do you have notes, Taylor, on Manchester City's penalty records uh, under Pep Guardiola? Because it is quite astonishing. Is it? Is it really? Yes, it's bad. So they have missed 25 of 80 penalties that they have won under Pep Guardiola. 25 um, of 80? Yeah, which is 
bad. <laughs> and and Riyad Mahrez, he's now missed penalties in, in back-to-back Champions League matches for City. Um, and he's missed 31% that of his of over his whole career. So why why is Ederson not taking penalties for Manchester City at, at this it point? It really should. It, it should be Ederson or it should be Holland. And just, just hit it as hard as you can. I feel like those two have the ability to, even if a goalkeeper gets their whole body behind it, it will be like the cartoonish Looney Tunes. If Ederson or Holland hits that ball with full force, the goalkeeper is going to catch it and then be blown back into the goal. So either way, you're going to score. I think that's the, the tactic. Uh, stop with the placement. Stop with the hop jump finish. Just let them rocket one into a goalkeeper into the net. Yeah, you know how I was saying Jorginho on Monday, his, his penalty taking yeah. Yeah. routine is stressful for me. I think uh, Riyad Mahrez is, might be even more stressful for me just because it's bad. It's, it's yes. clearly not effective. Uh, also not effective this game in keeping my attention uh, so much so that I, I, I tried to like come up with an appropriate analogy. Here is what I, I landed on. It's like in a nature documentary when like a wolf comes upon a grizzly bear eating its prey and the wolf is sort of like, look, man, I'm just trying to get around you. I don't want what you're eating. Just I'm not going to poke you. I'm not going to attack you. Just <laughs> let me go by. And that felt very much what Dortmund were doing in this one. We just need a draw. We don't want to get destroyed at home. We're going to be cool. Everybody be cool. And we're just going to get through this one and it will be fine. And that's exactly how that played out. So I guess well done to Dortmund for not poking the bear. Well done to Man City for just, uh, I guess, feasting on the other two teams in this group. Uh, Sevilla. Uh, in third on five points, Copenhagen at bottom with two. One final group, Graham. Let's talk Group H. This one some, with some drama of its own. Uh, let's go to Benfica. Was it four? Juve three. Another one that I did not see coming and did not see live, uh, have since rewatched. And I have some thumbs up and down in this one. Uh, I'm going to start by saying thumbs down to Weston McKinney's defensive pressure on the opening goal for Benfica. A slight thumb back up. So that leaves him like slightly down on the day uh, for scoring the third goal for Juve late. But really... That lack of pressure, I feel like, was it's. I'm not just trying to single them out because I don't think Juve were particularly good in this one. I think everybody was kind of not at the races and not quite sure where they need, needed to be. But it's 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 so telling to me when a defender sort of stands off in that like, look, you can cross the ball. I'm just not going to let you beat me. And right there, it's an immediate like uh, diffusion of responsibility. It's the player saying. I will let you cross, but if I get beat 1v1, then it's my fault. But if you cross it in, somebody else has got to do their job. And that, to me, is Juve in a nutshell. It's not a cohesive unit. It's not everybody on the same page. It's sort of individuals making individual decisions and hoping that that individual talent is enough to bear out. But when you come up against a team like Benfica, who don't seem particularly intimidated by the the kind of historical size and specter of that opposition – they score four goals and Juve don't. So I, I think thumbs down to McKinney for that one and to Juve as a whole for the way they approach this game. Yeah, there's just absolutely no cohesion to Juventus no. at the moment. We've spoken about this at length this season. What's happening with them under Allegri? I have no idea what's happening with them under Allegri. Juventus still digging their heels and it feels like Andrea Agnelli, he appears on Italian TV within minutes of every bad result that they have to say, <laughs> we're not going to sack, sack uh, Max Allegri yet. And um, yeah, I just don't understand how that is a sustainable position for them over the course of their season because it is not going well for them at the moment. Tis not. Tis not. Uh, the one bright spot uh, in my mind is Samuel Ealing Jr., a player I had never heard of before his assist for Juve. But man, was it great. If people haven't seen it, you should watch it because he does this sort of like 
dance, swivel hip, a couple steps to throw off the defender. But as soon as he spots his opportunity, the acceleration to get away, the way he crosses at full speed, he's at full sprint, but it's such a like minimal effort. The way he gets the cross in, it's one of those like running full speed in one direction, but gets the left foot across his right foot somehow to hit this inch perfect pass. I don't know if he was aiming for Milik, but whatever, because it was just perfect. But that led me to say thumbs up to, to English players doing things for non-English clubs. We talked about Hudson Adoy scoring, uh, uh, Ealing Jr. with the assist here. Marcus Edwards scores a beauty for sporting. So uh, English, English players doing things abroad yeah. is not a thing I'm used to, but they did it uh, on the day. I've just seen the spelling of Ealing Jr. So I thought it was Ealing, like the, the English place, which is E-A-L-I-N-G. And if it was Samuel Ealing Jr., like the, the, the sort of traditional English spelling, yeah. I was going to say that kind of sounds like a, a chain of family British pubs. Um, Sam, come down to Samuel Ealing Jr.'s, you know, this two for Tuesdays. But um, yeah, it's not. So that joke doesn't really work. <laughs> I mean, I did think I did think when I first heard his name that he was it was that spelling you mentioned, and then he was just the second. I didn't realize it was I L I N G hyphen Junior. Uh, so again, I had never heard of him, but I'm going to be paying attention now because he he was pretty electric in that one. Can I give one more thumbs down in in in, in this match? So thumbs sure. down for technology in general in the Benfica Juventus match, which was played without goal line technology. Uh, and yeah. I heard this before kickoff, and I knew instantly at that moment that yep. there was going to be a goal line decision. And indeed, yep. there was for the first Juventus goal at one one, which may or may not have crossed the line. I guess we'll never know. They'll be talking about that for years, as long as the Germans have been talking about the goals goal in the nineteen sixty six. World Cup final, but maybe the most amazing thing about the lack of technology from this match. Did you catch the reason, Taylor, why there wasn't any? Uh, there wasn't any goal line technology. Did you, no. did you? Did you hear an explanation? No. But so I'm the nervous. reason that they gave was that there was construction work happening at the stadium, which just throws up more answers. Uh, sorry, more questions than it provides answers. Yeah. So. I, I, I like I, I need I need an explanation. We need more information on this because my, in my mind I'm now thinking of like is it, is it like roadworks when they cut through the broadband cable or some guy was on a jackhammer outside outside laughing at my own joke here outside the stadio de Luz and then next thing there's a big spark and an explosion and he, he he's cut through the VAR cable. Yeah. Like what 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 did construction work have to do with it? Yeah, like that's that's why I'm sort of silent over here because I'm wondering, like, did they actually mess up the technology or was it just like, yeah, you know, we don't feel like using it today. Uh, there's construction. Yeah, like we'll put up some caution tape and no one will ask questions. Uh, but you, I, I agree with you, though. I had heard that, too. And I did instantly think we're getting a goal line controversy in this one. And that we did, though, I guess it didn't end up mattering too much. But some suspicious activity there uh, for Benfica who, who get the win regardless. One more uh, game to talk about from this one uh, would be PSG destroying Maccabi Haifa, Lionel Messi doing Lionel Messi things, Graham. Yeah. So thumbs up for Lionel Messi looking like Lionel Messi again, and just in time for the world cup. I am genuinely excited about what he might do at that tournament. Argentina, one of the favorites to, to win that. So having Lionel Messi in top form is, is very much a boost for them. And yes, Maccabi Haifa, they're not the strongest of opponents and PSG found it very easy to, to cut through them at, at will. But Messi's form this season has sort of flown under the radar a little bit, which is weird given that he is Lionel Messi. But it, it is true. I don't think people realise how well he's playing at the moment and, and the role he's playing for PSG at, the, at this season under Gautier is the one that we all thought he would eventually play later in his career. And it's just fantastic to watch. So he's, he's the creator. He's the one conducting the attack and, and, and uh, dictating the, the, the match, really. All the, all the attacking play f- flows through him. 
And even though uh, Messi is, is shining in this game and he scores two goals in this game, you can kind of tell that he's accepted his role in this PSG team as, as being a supply line to other talented players around him. And I'm reluctant to turn this into a Messi-Ronaldo thing, but I couldn't help compare this to how Ronaldo hasn't accepted this at all in his career. And I know his game is, is very different, so he'll never be a, a creator or a supply line. But in terms of accepting there are other talented players around you and you're not necessarily the main man anymore, Ronaldo hasn't done that, obviously, and Messi has, and he'll prolong his career because of it. And I'm just very excited about this final phase of Messi's career, which is going to be different to what we've seen so far. He is still scoring goals, but he's probably not going to hit 50 goals in a season ever again. But as a creator for a PSG that has Neymar and and sorry, Neymar and Mbappe and uh, Hakimi on on the right and all this attacking talent, have Messi conducting their attacks is is uh, it's pretty exciting to watch. Yeah. That's that's not a bad thing to have. Uh, also, with the way the groups are, there is a a chance, just a chance, that with PSG top of their group, uh, if Liverpool aren't able to to overcome Napoli, then they'd be second. So there's a possibility we could get PSG Liverpool in the next round. I'd be a big fan of that. And that also sets the stage for this. Feels like it's inevitable. Napoli to get Dortmund. Doesn't that seem like a draw that's going to happen? Napoli Dortmund. Hipster's dream. That's that what I'm right saying. There. Yep, exactly. That's why I think it's. It's uh, it's faded, Graham. It's faded. Uh, any other thumbs for you about this Champions League match week? Uh, you want to talk about the, the coverage maybe? Yeah. So thumbs up for C- CBS Sports coverage of the Champions League this week. They, they had their Destination Brooklyn event, I believe they were, they were calling it. And I've been watching a bit more of CBS's coverage um, this season for reasons that definitely aren't linked to a VPN. But they do, uh, they do such a good job, job of, of broadcasting soccer. And, and I was interested in your thoughts, Taylor, obviously, as, as an American soccer consumer. Do you think they're the, the best soccer broadcaster in the US at the moment? Or are you still taking NBC's Premier League coverage? Because I've, I've been very impressed with what I've seen so far this season. I think I'll still take NBC. I think NBC's is definitely drier. And it's definitely more academic. Here's the, the tactical side of things, uh, which which I like. I like that CBS like has the, the obviously some good chemistry between that, that studio crew, especially uh, Mika Richards, Jamie Carragher and Thierry Henry. Where, where it falls off a little bit for me is sometimes they steer too hard into that. Like, uh, mm. did you see the, the their analysis of the Bayern uh, Barca game? Uh, some of it. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure which, so, which part like, you're There's just a moment. It's just an awkward little moment when like Thierry Henry, it wants to do this. So they show the highlights. Uh, I think it's Carragher who's supposed to run through the highlights, which it, which stands out to me because all he did with Mane was talk about how Mane was getting older, was past his, like was about to be past his prime, but won a Champions League with Liverpool. So he knows how to win or something like that. It was just a very Liverpool centric thing. And it goes to Henry and Henry asks the producer, can we go back? I, basically, he wanted to highlight the Nabri ball in that like leads to Mane scoring that goal because it's an incredible ball. It splits like six different players. And he asks um, the producer, I think the producer's name is Matt. And he says, like, Matt, can we can we rewind that? And Carragher and Mika Richards just spend the next 30 seconds loudly screaming over the top of each other. Like, who's Matt? Who's Matt? Who's this Matt you're talking about? And Henri the whole time is like, he's the one who gives you all the answers when you don't know what to say, which was a great burn. But it was just this moment of like, you all know what he's doing. You don't have to fill silence by screaming at people. And I think they get a little bit too loose, which is rich for me to say, given that uh, when I've been hosting this week, I've kept it plenty loose. But I think I like NBC for their sort of like measured takes. I think sometimes... 
CBS just gets a little bit over the top, but sometimes that's what you need. And I think that's what a lot of people enjoy about that studio crew. So I won't begrudge people their happiness, uh, but sometimes the screaming just gets a little bit too much for me. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. I think it's just because it's, it's, it's quite different to what we have in, in the UK where all of our, our soccer broadcasting is, you know, straight down the middle. It's all very serious, you know, no time for, for any sort of lighthearted moments. And so obviously CBS kind of lean into the, the, the personality of their pundits that, that, that they have. And this week when they're live in New York and they have this incredible setting on the Hudson and all the big guests and they have a pitch where they're kind of playing out scenarios and doing some tactics stuff. And yeah, I just think it, it feels like they do a good job of presenting the Champions League as, as this like globally important event, but then also bring it back to an American audience by having like those events in, in, in New York. So yeah, I, 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 I enjoy it very much. Uh, I, I do too. And you're right. I, th- I think like the moments of levity, the, the quiz that they did a while back where, where the, uh, Kate Abdo with the trivia questions was deliberately trying to trick them into answering themselves when that wasn't the answer. And they got Thierry Henry twice. That was great. Uh, the, the studio scene that I want to point you to is the, I think it's the NBA on TNT. Have you seen any of yeah. that lately? Cause it's incredible. So that so that's the one with like Shaquille O'Neal, right? And, yeah. uh, and, Barclay Barclay. and, and yeah. those guys. Yeah. Did you see where Shaq, like they came back uh, from commercial break and Shaq immediately uh, bet Charles Barkley $10,000 that he couldn't spell, I think spectacular, I think is what the word was, (laughs) like like live on air. And then he does it, which was amazing. But I think, yeah, sometimes you got to have those ridiculous moments and you got to see. That's the sort of vibe they're going for, right? Yeah, that's the sort of format. And and that's what what I mean by we don't have anything like that in in sports broadcasting in, in the UK. So me tuning in using my VPN, not not really used to seeing that. It very much feels like something fresh and, and new. So that's probably an explanation for why I enjoy it so much. That makes sense. You know what else you don't have over there, Graham? Uh, sunshine. That, that, but also the Super League. Uh, we should <laughs> mention very briefly, not a great week for Super League clubs, was it? No. So uh, thumbs down for the Super League teams forever and always, but also because ha, 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 ha. Uh, two Super League teams <laughs> crashed out of the Champions League last night, Atletico Madrid and, and, and Barcelona. Juventus were already out. AC Milan and Tottenham aren't through yet, so they could potentially crash out as well. So maybe European football doesn't need an elite tier with no promotion and relegation after all, because uh, the biggest clubs are, are, no, are they already have just it. fine. They already have that competition in the existing competition and in, in the existing tournament. So yeah, they, they have it. It's called the Europa League, apparently, because that's where all the biggest clubs are. We, we, we know that now, Graham. <laughs> that's where all the, the, the juggernauts of European soccer will end up one day, except for, I guess, Bayern Munich, who will never, ever be eliminated from the Champions League. No. But yeah, it was a nice sort of a schadenfreude moment of, oh, you're not going through. Oh, you're not going through either. I still feel bad about Atleti for some reason, even though I think they are very much the villains in most people's minds. But Mm. uh, all the same, uh, it's why we love the Champions League, because you get some crazy, crazy moments. We still got the one match day to go. We will obviously be back to review all of those games and look ahead to the knockout round. But for now, Graham Ruffin, thank you for going very long and watching a ton (laughs) of soccer uh, to talk to me about it today. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Listeners, thank you all for listening. We will talk to you all again soon. 